The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, a glimpse into the future of the American Council of the Blind and choosing an appropriate gift. Welcome to the holiday edition of ACB Reports for December 2011. Recent installments on ACB Reports have featured discussions of the past and present activities of ACB. This month, we look into the future of the organization. Delivering this audio crystal ball are Sarah Conrad, President, American Council of Blind Students, Suzanne Whalen, President of the Dallas Chapter of ACB of Texas and Secretary of Guide Dog Users of Texas, and Kenneth Simeon Sr., Second Vice President ACB of Texas. The future begins with Sarah Conrad. It's really important to think about student membership. And I don't just say that because I'm the president of the student affiliate and I am a student and I work with students every day, but it's because I truly believe that we are the future presidents and secretaries and vice presidents of our state affiliates, of special interest affiliates, and of ACB as a whole. And so I think there are three key aspects that really need to be in place in order for ACB's future to be bright with student membership. The first is money. Money is the biggest burden, I think, on pretty much everyone, but students have, you know, tuition bills, and all of a sudden we're paying for food and clothes and books, and then we hear about these wonderful conventions, and we go, okay, how are we going to come up with $2,000 to go to a convention? Student-friendly programming. How do we encourage students? How do we get them excited about coming to events? And third, I think it's very important to really nurture student relationships, mentoring and helping them have role models within the group. Those are the three things that I want to talk to you about today. There was actually um, a suggestion given, I think, by the Oregon Council of Blind, and it was about an adopt-a-student program. And this is something that I know um, ACB students is really going to head up this year. It involves state affiliates working with ACB students to each select a student to attend next year's convention. The state affiliates, whoever participates, will pay one or two students' ways to come to Louisville. And this would allow, you know, even if it's just one student, to attend convention and connect with their state affiliate, connect with other special interest affiliates. Getting them to convention is so important. There will be some sort of an application process. It'll almost be like a scholarship, but just to come to convention and get connected. And of course, another important piece of the financial puzzle are definitely scholarships. And ACB is so blessed with a wonderful scholarship program. Scholarships are so important, and they help relieve so many burdens for students. But I want to move on to the student-friendly programming. Uh, When I first came to ACB um, back in Orlando, I was often the only person under 20 in the room. I always felt like, Why aren't there more students here? And I think it's really important to have programs that students will be really excited about. I think a lot of that can be on a statewide level. Having student chapters within the states, students need to really connect with other students. It can feel really awkward when you're the only student in the room and 
if we have you know, each state affiliate having a student chapter, uh, this is of course a long-term goal, but I think if every state has a student chapter, then perhaps there can be more student programming within the state conventions as well as the ACB convention. I also think it's very important to nurture students. Relationships are just crucial to having more student membership. I know I have really connected with people who have just really mentored me. They're wonderful professionals, people who I really look up to. And I think it's so important to encourage these students. I think a huge part of that is encouraging student leadership, not only within the ACB student affiliate, but within your state and special interest affiliates, as well as ACB as a whole. Students thrive on responsibility, you know, and we're given tasks. That makes us excited. We're, we're so glad to get involved. It, it gives us a role to play, and, and that could be something really small taking notes at a meeting or participating in a fundraiser, or it could be being the president of an affiliate. I would just encourage you to give responsibilities to the students that are in your affiliates and encourage them to be involved more. I hope to continue to brainstorm with you how we can encourage student membership throughout ACV. Thank you. When Mitch recommended that I speak, I think he told Brenda that I'm a Federation refugee, and I like that. So what I want to do is actually, first of all, tell us what we can learn from the Federation about effective advocacy in the future, and point out why we are the only organization in a position to be advocates, and if we don't fulfill that responsibility, it's not going to be good for blind folks. Well, I think we're all in a better place. You know, I sort of decided that it's better to be in it's better to be in the organization that works for pedestrian safety as opposed to the one that wastes an enormous amount of time, money, and talent on a foolish and impractical publicity stunt like the blind driver challenge. But seriously, though, I made the mistake. I was the president of the National Association of Guide Dog Users, and um, the Federation made a very anti-dog resolution that they called the Freedom of Choice Resolution, of course. And um, my members just had all kinds of questions. And as a division officer, my role was to tell them to shut up. This is Federation policy. It's the resolution is passed. That's it. But I don't do that. And so I wrote... Dr. Maurer a letter asking their questions. And then, when I never got an answer, I printed my letter to him and the fact that he didn't answer in the newsletter Harness Up. And when you do that, that's open warfare. I was issued a reprimand, and I decided I didn't need this. So the man didn't get the satisfaction of expelling me. I left on my own, and here I am. But this one illustration of the blind driver challenge speaks volumes about the important role we in the ACB are playing and will play into the future, and here's why. There was a time when there were two strong advocacy organizations of the blind, but now the National Federation of the Blind operates rehabilitation centers and it has established its own professional standards board to certify blindness professionals. Its Jernigan Institute cost over $18 million to build, a third of which came from the state of Maryland. And they've established the so-called Imagination Fund, which seeks to raise $1 million a year to maintain the Jernigan Institute. If you think about it, any organization of the blind that has huge buildings and operates training centers and has its own certification board 
and has entrenched power. Dr. Jernigan said in 1979, when I was at a leadership seminar, that the most important thing the national president does is pick his own successor. Barack Obama can't even do that. Does this sound like the kind of grassroots, truly democratic civil rights organization that we have? No. It sounds suspiciously like another agency for the blind, one of many that the Federation's competing with. So you can see that only the American Council of the Blind is in a unique position to fight for better education, increased employment, accessible communications and currency, and so very much more, pedestrian safety, just all of it. So how will we increase our effectiveness as advocates in the future? And here is where we can learn some things. Federationists understand that their local chapters are part of state affiliates, which in turn are part of a strong national organization. This can create a lockstep mentality, which we sure don't want, but it has also been extremely effective. When the national president or the director of governmental affairs ask members to picket or to write letters urging their congressmen to support legislation, the response would be massive. Our affiliates are independent, and I like that. But as president, I still have to sometimes remind people in my chapter that, yes, it's important to pursue our own local goals. But when our national leaders are working on legislative initiatives, these measures will improve the quality of life for all of us. Our leaders are working on several legislative initiatives, which President Pomerantz mentioned in his report on Sunday night. And we've been asked to contact our own individual congressmen and senators to bring them on board as sponsors. Each of us should ask ourselves, how are we doing with that? Because this will be essential in the future, and it will be equally necessary as partisan politics continues to shift, that we cultivate support not just among liberals, but also among conservatives. Another type of advocacy. Until people learn the true character of the Federation, they flock to its programs because they think those programs meet their needs. Sometimes they do. The Federation has, for example, summer programs that, among other things, help children to learn Braille. They are aggressively working to get state rehabilitation agencies to adopt the model used at their centers. So what must we do in the future? We must more diligently study the needs of blind and visually impaired people in our regions, I think, and develop our own programs to meet those needs. More of us might tutor children in Braille, for example. We must educate state officials on our philosophies of rehabilitation and its advantages, and we must insist upon our right to at least equal representation on agency boards. Even though we're independent, we want to avoid the feeling that we're all alone in this advocacy struggle. So we must share what we have tried, our successes, our failures, and what we've learned, most importantly, in the Braille Forum. Above all, we must avoid negative thinking. So many people have said to me when they realized I was in the Federation for 28 years, but the Federation has so much money. You know, they didn't always have all that money. They may have more money, but what do we have? We have the integrity and the honesty. If we each give the best of our devotion, time, talent, and financial support to this organization, 
Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing that can stop our progress now or in the future. You know, it took me a long while to get here and see the light, but I'm home. I will be proud to do whatever I can to help ACB make a bright future for blind and visually impaired people. Thank you so much. I've been thinking about our theme, Golden Past, Diamond Future. As I reflected on those terms, I thought I really need to focus on diamond. When I think about a diamond, I think about something sparkling, appealing, solid, valuable. Just those few things can help us to think about what we need to become. And I want to commend ACB for doing all the different uh, things that I've been able to participate in in the past few years, even in Washington, D.C., advocating on Capitol Hill. It's been a great privilege to join in and look at the big picture. And that's what I want to encourage us to look at when I speak of picture. I'm thinking about, in relation to the diamond, we should focus on our image. And how are we being portrayed in the public as an organization? Each of us can play a big part in that. Leadership has to begin by always actually being an example, setting an example for other members. And we have that working right now for us, but in the future we need to grow in that and make sure that we prepare future leaders for the places that are going to become vacant one day because of age-related changes in life that may cause someone to not be able to serve as they have been in the past or the present. I would like to also encourage you to read an article that I have that focuses on each individual member. And if we all become personally what we need to be to make this organization what it should be, all of us together can make this work and we can have a bright and diamond future. This month in the Real Forum, I have an article entitled 15 Ways to Maximize Your Membership. I would like to encourage you to read that article, retain it, and review it periodically. But this will give you some guidelines on what you can do personally to contribute to ACB being a success in the future. In addition to that, after attending the last conference and convention in which I was a DKM recipient, I submitted a document entitled, A Personal Discovery of Treasures in ACB. If you haven't read it, you can go back to that issue. It has some keys in there that would help you even today to progress in your personal life. One other article I want to mention to you that could help you individually because we have to develop self-confidence within ourselves before we can actually do all we can do for the organization. We have to believe that we can personally before we can believe the organization will because we are the organization. And we will be the organization. And newcomers behind us will also join in. And we are in need of more leadership that will be developed. So we'll be focusing on those things as personal development. So I would like to also mention an article that I have that was published this month in the Matilda Ziegler magazine for the blind. And it is beyond my perception. Please read it. You can access it online, but if not, the national office could uh, help you to reach me. I'll be glad to share that with you by email. I believe it takes a personal look at 
you personally inward? Why are you being what you are today? Are you being all you can be? And if you determine what you should be personally, then you can see how you can offer some of your personal abilities to make ACB what it should be in the future. It's very important that we try our best to focus on identifying sources that would bring in funds for our organization to help us to do the work that we do while trying our best to make sure that we are not burdening the members personally. And that has been already started. I've come up with 10 keys to creating a diamond future. And if you want to get that uh, in the state affiliate presidents, I've shared it with Mitch, and I would like to share it with you. This could be used also in your state affiliate. I would like to say thank you very much, and I'm looking forward to a great future, and I'm glad I'm a part of it. Kenneth Simeon Sr., Suzanne Whalen, and Sarah Conrad presented this look into the future of ACB during the 50th Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind in Reno, Nevada. You're listening to ACB Reports from the American Council of the Blind. Regardless of the occasion, choosing an appropriate gift can easily overwhelm even the most dedicated shopper. To help ease that frustration, Lynn Cooper from the Mirrors Project shares tips for choosing an appropriate gift. Whether it be a personal relationship or professional, there are, just like in preparing a powerful and targeted personal image, some rules to guide your gift-giving actions. Many of my listeners in my workshops have heard me talk about the ears rule, expectations, assumptions, receiver, and sender. If we're thinking about giving a gift, we have to think about it as really giving a clear representation of ourselves. It's like your thoughts put into a box and wrapped. So the same rules apply when you give someone as when you are giving them a presentation or any other kind of message. So we also need to really think about minding the gaps in gift giving too. In this case, G, when we give gifts, we have to think about the gesture. Is this gesture appropriate? A is the appearance of what we are giving, and is that appropriate? And then packaging, very simple, the way that it is packaged. And then S is what is the gift saying? And it all, just like in our personal image, really throws back to appropriate. And that's the big concern with gift giving. Research by a major university was done on the psychology of gift giving. Women tend to be more emotional and sentimental, and men approach life and approach gift giving more practically. So, fellas, no chainsaws for the girlfriends, no electric blankets, no blenders. You know, of course, unless your friend, spouse, partner says, geez, what I really want is a blender, what I really want is an electric blanket, what I really want is a chainsaw. There are general tips for minding the gift-giving gaps. Number one, consider the person you're giving the gift to. Now that sounds like another one of those, duh, but it's not often done. We all know having probably a closet full of things that came from a relative or a loved one that we look at and say, what the heck were they thinking? That doesn't reflect me. Do they even know me? So we have to remember it's not about your loves, your wishes, your wants, desires, and tastes, but theirs. When we give a gift, we have to consider the recipient's special needs. I won't buy a candle, for instance, for a friend that has a cat. As many of my cat-owning friends say that they have them lit, and before they know it, they hear a yelp from their cat. Their cat has their tail in it. 
you don't want to send something with uh, nuts if there might even possibly be a nut allergy. Consider the norms and the rules of the situation. Those are especially important when we're in the corporate setting. It may not be appropriate. It may not be accepted behavior to give your employer a gift. Another thing we have to look at is the gift policies. Years ago, when I would have a number of articles written about the work that I'm doing, I often did give a gift to the journalist who wrote the story on me. One of them wrote back and said, thank you, but it is not proper for a journalist to receive a thank you gift. Politicians have policies about this too, and government employees. So we have to pay very close attention to that because we always want to be on the side of appropriateness. And with that in mind, we do have to consider that A in gaps, appropriate. It's like the perfect outfit or the perfect handshake for a setting. The gift should be aligned with both what you could expect to receive and the depth of the relationship. So it's real important that for somebody we do not know well or somebody in a business setting that we don't go overboard giving too much or too little. Once again, what is amiss will stand out negatively. And number five, it's always nice to have something to unwrap. I'm really big about the tactile aspect of things. For instance, I tend to give a flock of ducks And that sounds crazy, but these are truly a flock of baby ducks that are given to people in third world countries via what's known as the Heifer Project, where you can give a herd of cattle all the way down to a flock of chickens or ducks. These are given to a person in this developing country, and it will not only feed them, but a part of that flock will be donated to another person in need. So instead of just giving a gift card, which in itself is nice, I tend to wrap up a little rubber ducky. And then in that box, which is wrapped and tactile and can be felt and opened and has a place under the tree, there will be this rubber ducky with the gift certificate stating that this gift was given on their behalf. Number six, be careful with gift cards. They seem like a real good fallback position, but one doesn't always keep note of their expiration date, and especially if the friends we're giving them to are visually impaired, then make sure somewhere, whether it be verbally or in the gift elsewhere, you mention that there is a gift certificate. Have gift cards become the modern-day equivalent of socks? You know what? I really do believe they have. To me, gift cards and cash are like saying, I opened my wallet, I didn't give another thought to you, but I know this will be a no-brainer. Now, there are some instances. My 20-something niece and nephew are starting out in their careers. Money is an issue for them. So maybe I will give something like a Visa gift card, which allows them to shop anywhere that Visa is accepted. So depending on the situation, I think they have become like the necktie and the sock. I think there are so many more creative alternatives that say to the recipient, this person has thought of me. Be very careful, though, that in some cases when you buy a gift card, there could be a $10 activation fee in addition to the price that was stated on the gift card. Be careful with scents. Not only are people more and more allergic to them, but what scent you like and I like may not be the scent that the gift recipient enjoys. Intimate items like lingerie and etc., even clothing is kind of tricky. 
the size is an issue, too. You can just imagine a woman opening up a gift that is either too small, making her feel large, or too large, feeling as though the uh, gift giver thinks she's larger than she is. Store exchange policies differ so that when you give a actual gift from a store, you not only have to be really sure about the person's taste in style, color, size, and what have you, but what the store exchange policies are. And if you do give a gift, always ask for a gift receipt. And that way, the person who gets the gift, should they not wish to keep it, can easily exchange it. Otherwise, it gets to be a mess. And the gift receipt usually does not indicate the price. Correct. The The price will usually be in code. If you do not have a gift receipt, most stores, if they do give you anything back, it will usually just be a merchandise credit and without a receipt will be the markdown price. So let's say you bought something for $50. Well, if you're giving it to someone and they want to exchange it or return it without a receipt, they may only get a few dollars because that item may have been marked down to that extent. Also very important to consider Uh, the location the gift recipient lives in. Because if you have a store that is in your neck of the woods, they may not have that store. So if you're giving a gift card to a store that is local, go online and find out if that store is in the recipient's part of the country. And avoid giving large and statement pieces that folks need to, as I say, make a commitment to housing and displaying. One thing that comes to mind is a handmade ceramic vase could also maybe be an umbrella holder. I'm not sure, but we got it as a wedding gift. To me and my husband, it is the ugliest thing we've ever seen in our lives. And yet every time the person who gave it to us, who meant well, comes over, we have to put it out because it is a big piece. They meant well, but by giving something that is so large and makes such a statement, you're saying to the person, you must have a spot in your home to devote to this. So it's really something to consider. We always have to consider the recipient's taste, and remember, it's always all about them. And never go to a dinner party where you are being fed and entertained without a host or hostess gift. It does not have to be fancy. Good idea to email or call or write the host or hostess and say, I'd like to bring something. What can I bring? If they say, please don't bring anything, don't take them at their word. That's just a gracious way of saying, bring whatever you wish to. Now, you don't have to go overboard. A bottle of wine, a little container of homemade jam or something does not have to be big and outlandish and expensive. It is truly the thought that counts. And once again, you're being fed and entertained. It's very, very important to never go empty-handed, and especially now with all the holiday parties. And finally, always send a thank you. That is ideally written and sent on paper, because especially as we go more and more to a cyber age, digital technology, high-tech always has an arrow drawn to high-touch. And that means that the more we are involved in virtual communications, the more we send e-cards and emails, the more important it really becomes to send a paper letter. And if you're not able to, then at the very least, a phone call is appropriate the day after you were entertained. A thank you really is the icing on the cake. 
and I believe is really the biggest gift of all because you're leaving a wonderful impression. And we know that while first impressions are lasting, so too are last impressions. It is truly the last impression that you're leaving people with. So there are ways to not spend a lot of money, but to spend a lot of thoughtfulness. Remember that thought and creativity increase the preciousness of a gift tenfold. As is quoted by Eileen Elias Freeman in a book, The Little Angel's Instruction Book, it isn't the size of the gift that matters, but the size of the heart that gives it. And to all of our cherished listeners, happy, happy holidays to you all. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.